This doesn't happen very often, but uh, in part of my way of trying to save money uh, with uh, my family, we're going to have a therapy session so I don't have to pay for it. So I'm going to get on this couch here because um, you know how sometimes in your life you go through these times where things are difficult and uh, things can be dry, like, like, like difficulties are more difficult and temptations are more temptation-y and just all these things are happening in your life and you sometimes can say, God, I don't feel close to you. I, I feel so far from you. And, and you, you go through, I call it a wilderness experience. And this is kind of why we're going to do this message today. It's basically for me. It's not for you. So if, if you want to leave, you can, but you'll, you'll, you shouldn't. And so you go through these times and you struggle and you don't understand why you struggle and you don't understand why it feels dry and, and so it feels kind of depressing and you can, get, you, can, you can get those times where it just starts piling on you and you're, you get scared and you worry that you, you're losing something, that you've missed something in your life, that God doesn't seem to be right there with you like he was at other times and it's a, it's a struggle and, it, and it, to me the biggest thing is it's scary because I don't know what God's doing, and I hate to have to wait to see what he's doing. And so I have to do things like tell myself, this is who I am in Christ. I have to do some of the things we talk about here. I actually have to live what I talk about, and, I, and sometimes I don't like doing that. And so in these times, as I struggle, I, uh, I try to center on God. I try to focus on him, but I try to keep in mind He's working, he will, this, this will pass, there will come a day where I will, he, I will see what he's doing and, and, and I'll come through this. But when you're in it, it doesn't seem like you're ever going to come through it. And that's kind of, in a sense, in some ways, where I'm at today. So, I feel better telling you, though. And I feel like you just saved me a couple hundred dollars, so thank you. So as we talk about the wilderness, what I want to talk about is because, because this is coming from my heart. I, uh, a few weeks ago, when we were in 1 John, and so, uh, yeah, you guessed it, it's another, we're on another rabbit trail. I'm terrible about this, I know. Like I say, we're going to do 1 John, and, and every other week we do something different because it's, I'm like a dog, a squirrel, you know, I just get, I get my attention pulled away. But the... A few weeks ago, I mentioned Christ's temptation in the wilderness, and that got me thinking about it. And so that sometimes in the last few weeks, I'd take a little time and I'd, I'd study that, you know, just for me. Because there's times where I feel like I'm in a wilderness, and I feel like the temptation is strong, and I feel like evil is strong around me, and I'm not doing well at dealing with it. And so we're going to see what we can learn, and I'm... I'm making a great assumption. I'm assuming that I'm not a unicorn so that other people are struggling with this too. Otherwise, this really is just like personal therapy in a sense, I guess. <clears throat> I was thinking about as change occurs in our lives. You know, we tend to think, we tend to think that if we're Christians and we go to church and we get involved, you know, things are just going to turn out well. Life is going to turn out well. Kids are going to turn out well. You know, my, my, my goals, my plans are going to work out somehow. And if they don't quite work out, it's going to be something awesome that's going to come along. And so when things do work out, I'm like, praise the Lord, God is good. But when they don't, when wilderness creeps into our lives, 
Sometimes it sneaks into our head, you know, has God abandoned me? Is God punishing me? Does God even exist? Or if he does exist, it seems like he just doesn't care about me and my problems. Now, I know many times my problems are my fault. You ever had that? You go to God, say, God, I need you to help me. And I know this is 100% my fault, God. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot, and I've done stupid things. And I'm reaping what I've sown, and I feel guilty even coming to you and asking for help because I don't deserve it. But I also know this. Sometimes it's not our fault. We just go into the wilderness. And so I want to read this passage to you. This is from Matthew 4, 1 through 10. It's on your sheet. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So we have this, this overall thought in this passage. God wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust him with our lives. And wilderness is a testing time. It's a time to grow. It's a time to learn. It's a time to learn to trust God even when everything in you screams don't trust God. So let's look at this passage. Where is this wilderness they're talking about? It's across the Jordan. It's approximately the same place, close to the same, where the Jews were wandering. They were wandering in the wilderness back in the book of Exodus. There's a parallel that's being put together here. Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days. The Jews wandered for 40 years. There's a parallel that's being built here. And we, interestingly, all three of Jesus' answers are answers from the wilderness wanderings, from the books that were written during that time. So why were they there? Why were the Jews there? Because they didn't trust God for what he promised them, the land. Remember, they've been set free from Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. The water's open. The water's closed behind them. They're all like, yay, God. God is great, right? And, and, and God tells them. He spends time with them. He tells them, you're chosen. You are loved. I'm as close as your next breath. I have set you free. Now test me. Trust me. Trust me on this journey. And they didn't. They complained, and they whined, and they sinned. They said, we miss Egypt. Slavery wasn't that bad after all. We, we've changed our minds. We don't trust God. We want to go home. And they broke God's heart. They looked at the wilderness rather than focusing on God and his love for them. And so they struggled with this wilderness test over and over and over. They didn't trust God. They didn't trust his word. To me, what was key is they didn't trust what God said was true about them. He said, you're my children. I love you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to take care of you. Trust me on this. And they didn't. They didn't trust him. 
leads me to a thought. It's one thing, I say this before, one thing to believe in God. It's a whole other thing to believe God. There's quite a difference there. There's lots of people who believe in God, but the key is, do you believe him? Do you believe God? So now Jesus is taking, this, this is this parallel, he's taking the wilderness test all over again. The one they failed, he's taking now. So it's like test number two. And he's taking this test with something that's ringing in his ears. Just before this, Matthew 3, 17, I think it's, I think, yes. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. This is ringing in Jesus' ears. You're my son. I love you. I'm well pleased. Now, go out into the desert. Go out into the wilderness. So he has this ringing endorsement from God. The spirit comes down. This identity, this worth, this acceptance, reinforced by the spirit. And he believes these things. He believes these things enough to get him through this testing in the desert. These things are true about you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are his beloved son or daughter whom he loves, and he is well pleased in you. That's an amazing endorsement from God, and it's true. It's true for you. It's true about me. And so we go through these wilderness times when God seems far away, and we have to re remember we have not been abandoned. It's a part of the spiritual life that we have, we've embarked on. It is training for deeper growth. It is preparation for greater things. It is anti anticipation of greater joys that will be coming. And if we can, by the power of the Spirit and His Word, trust Him in those wilderness times, then He says, this is what, this is what I, you are doing just what I want, my beloved child. All right, so point number one on your sheet. He wants us, us to trust him with our physical life. That's in verses, in verses two through four, and I'm, I'm gonna read them again. Um, he says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered and said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I want you to see what those stones look like. I think we have a picture of this. All right, these, this is that wilderness area, and you see those stones? They look like bread. Okay, so imagine, right? Now you have to use your imagination here. Imagine you've gone without, I just have to imagine, I've gone without food for three hours. Oh, man, I'm hungry. I'm starving. We used to take our kids, sometimes we had long trips to go see grandparents. And we'd be like, we'd eat, we'd, we'd stop, we'd, the big thing, we'd stop at 7-Eleven, I'd give them each two bucks and say, you can buy anything you want in this 7-Eleven for under $2. And they'd get, you know, a snack. We'd get in the car. We'd start driving. Two hours in, I'm hungry. You just ate. That's not that long. No, we're not stopping. But I'm starving. And I was like, you want to bet? I bet you're not starving. Starving leads to death. Let's just watch and see. <laughs> you know? And then, and then one of the little ones would go, yeah. <laughs> and just, just stare at him, you know? We're starving. Okay, now, he's starving. He's starving. And everywhere you walk, you see that. That looks to me like a Dunkin' Donuts pastry. There's a creamy filling in the middle. I can see it leaking out, right? Can you imagine? You're starving, and the very stones look like bread. What a temptation. Satan is smart here. He's going, look, 
That looks good. You'd like that. Just snap your fingers. You can have some. Why are you doing this? What's the point? He's saying, Jesus, you're all alone. You're in private. Satisfy your desires. It's a trick as old as Eden. It's old as the, as old as the wilderness test. The children of Israel said, God delivered us so that we would die in the desert. They wanted food. And God gave it to them, and they still didn't trust him. But Jesus knew there's something more important going on here than just physical desires, just my private desires. He knows I'm to live by trusting the word of God about who I am. About who I am. Because Jesus knows I came for others, not for myself. Now, you know, theologians argue all the time, when, how much did Jesus know as he grew up, and when did he know it? We, knew by, we know by uh, 12, at least by 12, that he knew he was about his father's business. He knew something of it. But how that happened, we don't exactly know. We don't know the fullness of his knowledge at any particular given time. We do know that when he hit the Garden of Eden, he was shocked by what was about to happen. Like, I didn't anticipate it quite this way. He knew it was going to happen, but the physicalness of it, the pain of it, the humanness of it, totally shocked him. And so... Jesus knows, I'm here for others. This is not about me. The very core of my identity is that I'm a servant. The Son of Man came to seek and save. The Son of Man came to serve. He goes, that's, that's who I am. And so to do this would be the ultimate expression of me. It's all about me. He, you know, it's like I know my father is teaching me something, but for crying out loud, I'm hungry and I know how to cook. And Satan's like, yes, you can do that. And so who are you? Are you simply the sum total of your physical needs? Is that all you are? Just your hungers? Your desires? Now, people want us to believe that. That's simply what you are. You're the sum total of all your needs and wants and desires. Your hungers your drives, your aspirations, that's all you are. But God says that's not true. And so when you're alone, when you're in private, when you're hurt, where do you look for comfort and support? Do you stuff yourself with food or drink? Stuff your eyes with TV, movies, pornography? Do you stuff your ears with music or gossip? Do you cry out like Nirvana? Entertain me when you're alone, by yourself, when you're bored. What do you do when you're depressed? What do you do when you're sad? What do you do? Entertain me. Entertain my taste buds. Entertain my ears. Entertain my eyes. Make me feel good. This is what's going on. And these things aren't necessarily wrong in moderate. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not up here, don't watch TV. No, I'm not doing that. It's not that. It's what do you go to when you're hungry? Because it will dominate your life. If you keep going back, it will dominate your life. We have to understand that real life comes from the Word of God, and all this other stuff is just a part of the big picture. 
Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. He's saying the word of God is powerful. There is this power that is inherent in the word of God. That's where the power is. And Satan will try to get us to justify our needs and our desires our way and short-circuit God's plan for our life. And Jesus is teaching us here to remember who we are in him and to trust his word for our deepest needs and longings. So who are you? Who am I? When you're in the wilderness, who are you? You're a beloved child. I'm a beloved child. You're totally loved. And you are well-pleasing to him. He is thrilled at you he's thrilled at you well pleasing in the wilderness we need to remember this and live accordingly so we trust our physical then the second point is we trust our him with our spiritual life verses five through seven say this then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you are the son of god he said throw yourself down for it is written he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone and jesus answered him it is also written, do not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. Now, when he says, do not put the Lord your God to a test, he's, he's quoting, he's actually quoting from two places in the wilderness wanderings. And, and just real quick, where is he? There is this, uh, when you go to the temple, the, 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 the wall, there's one corner where it fell away on a cliff to a deep, deep ravine. And so it was hundreds and hundreds of feet down. So he says, here, go here, stand here. And he quotes some scripture from Psalm 91. God will not let you, not even strike your foot. And Jesus looks down and, and Satan's like, do it, because you will do that. What will happen? You will fall all the way down and God will catch you. And you'll land and it'll be like, ta-da, ladies and gentlemen, the great Jesus is here, able to jump tall buildings in a single bound. You know, he can, all this, it would be this, just what we talked about earlier, an incredible show. An explosion. Fireworks. Oh, we love that. So Satan quotes to him, Psalm 91, 11 and 12. You know, it's funny. Verse 13 in Psalm 91, Satan doesn't quote verse 13. Because it talks about trampling the serpent under his foot. So Satan's like, well, let's leave that part out. Right? So here's the historical situation. And we have to know because the answer that Jesus gives enables us to better understand the temptation. They were put to two tests that involved this type of thing. And right here we see Deuteronomy 6.16, do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. And then in Exodus 17.7, uh, because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? All right? So this is, this is what's going on. This is the historical situation when we look back at that. <clears throat> Massa, the word actually means to put to the test. It means to require proof, to require proof. The other day, I, I was at the, the pharmacy, and I bought something, and, and one of the drugs, I guess, that, uh, that I bought was, is, is on some sort of list, and so he, he, he looks at me, he said, Mr. Mosley, uh, you come here all the time, you know, way too often, and we know who you are, you know, I know who you are, but for this, you have to give me your license. 
And I gave him a license, and he wrote down everything and took a photocopy, just everything. And he said, because we, we have to have proof that we gave this to the right person. We have to have this proof. And so he's saying here, this is what they said to God. We require proof. We require proof. They put God to the test. And this is spiritual blackmail. Because what are they saying here? They're saying, God, you have to come through or else. Now think about that. Or else what? Or else I'm out. One time, <clears throat> one of my children told me, you need to treat me better or I'm leaving. I said, bye, Felicia. <laughs> I didn't say bye, Felicia, because it wasn't around then. But I said, see ya. And it was like, what? And I said, I'm treating you the way I believe God wants me to treat you. If you feel like you need to leave, there's the door. And I, I did that because that happened to me one time. One time I told my mom, I told my mom, call grandpa to come get me. Call him to come get me. I'm leaving. And I put clothes in a suitcase and I went down and sat on the front porch. And I waited. And I waited. And she came out finally and she said, Robert, Grandpa's not coming to get you. Why? First of all, we live in Virginia. He lives in Alabama. <laughs> it's a long ways. He's not coming. Second of all, you're 19. He's not coming for you when you're 19. <laughs> it was maybe a little younger. But you see what they're saying? They're saying, God, you come through with us or else. Or else we quit. We quit. That's what's implied here. And what does that mean? They're dictating the terms of the relationship. You know, if you study the book of Malachi, that's what's going on in Malachi. They kept over and over and over saying, this is the way God has to work. This is the way God has to work. And so we're in this situation where there, there, there's this, in a sense, they're having an identity crisis. Is God still here? Who are we? They'd seen how other gods worked. They knew all about the, the gods in Egypt. They knew all about, about the gods in other places. And those were gods who were, who were very capricious, who oftentimes got angry and did terrible things. They were gods that they knew. They had to bribe them. They had to bring them stuff to get them to be nice to them. Or if you wanted something, you had to bring them something. They also knew, and I think this is key for the wilderness wandering for the Israelites, Gods were territorial back then. There were gods who were in charge of certain areas. You know, they, they, this is where their area was. And if you got outside of their area, their god was not strong. And so, so they, would, they would live that way. And so for the Israelites, <clears throat> this, this, this Yahweh comes along, and he opens the Red Sea. They get across the Red Sea. They keep, the further they go, the more times they start struggling again. Why? Because they're wondering, is he run, when does he run out of power? You know, and Moses keeps saying, what about, what part of, you know, maker of heaven and earth, the God of all creation, what do you not understand about that? But they couldn't help it. It's the way they were raised in there. And so they kept thinking, have we reached the limit of his power? Then they get to the promised land. If you remember the story, they get to the promised land the first time. They send, they send the spies in. The spies come back. They go, the land is incredible, but there are some big dudes there. And they got sharp swords. We can't do it. Why were they thinking that? 
because we have to cross this river. This is one, we're afraid it's one step beyond God's power. So they're having this, this, this identity crisis of who they are, of who God is. And so they're saying, God, prove yourself to us. Over and over, prove yourself to us. They were manipulating God because they think that God would say, hey, prove how much you love me and I'll give you a nice answer. They thought that's the kind of God they were dealing with. And subtly, we can do that, right? We can sit there and think, God, after all I've done for you, this is how you respond? Now, we don't say that. But subtly inside, we're thinking, man, I've been sacrificing. I've been giving money to church. I did my devotion for five straight days. Why aren't you blessing me? Why aren't you blessing me? And, and what are you saying? What are we saying? We're saying, well, I've earned it. I've worked so hard for you. I put the correct change in the machine. I want my Snickers bar. That's what we're saying. We think we're earning God's favor. And so then when things don't go the way we think they should, what happens then? We come up with four choices, basically. When, things, when, we, when we run into the wilderness, when things go downhill, when we're really struggling, first thing we think is, well, I, maybe I didn't do enough. Or second possibility is God doesn't care. Third possibility, God doesn't exist. Fourth possibility is God has a plan through all of this and I can't see it. Those are the possibilities. Those are the things we got. And so we, 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 we oftentimes can fall for some of those instead of, instead of focusing on who am I in Christ, who is God. And it's because we do it in so many areas of life. We can do it with our kids our kids get good grades. We're so excited for them. When they do the right thing, we're happy. When we subtly communicate that they're living for us, we, uh, we project ourselves into our kids. So when they're doing well, we're, all, we're good with them, and when they're doing poorly, we struggle. And we have to realize we can't do that with our kids. We're God's role model for our kids, and we can't project our needs and desires on them. So these people, they, what did they do? They demanded proof of God's protection and provision. They wanted another sign, and then they wanted another sign, then they wanted another sign, then they wanted another sign, because people who live for signs are never satisfied because they're living life on their terms. There is no faith in living for signs. All there is is you make God fit your agenda. It's what I would call a Christian humanist. A humanist says man is at the center. A Christian humanist says, I believe there is a God, but I'm still at the center. He's just one of my priorities. So, back to the passage at hand. Jesus is standing on the corner there of the cliff. It's hundreds of feet down. What is the temptation here for Jesus? He's suffering in the wilderness. The temptation is to make God show his care for you even when it seems he doesn't. God, prove you're still with me. Give a sign. I'm going to jump off. I'm going to hit the ground. There's going to be circus music. Big ta-da. And everyone's going to be amazed. And Jesus is being tempted to make the agenda for God. He's being tempted to do his agenda to do what he thinks sounds good at the moment. 
to dictate the terms of the relationship. And Jesus' point in his answer is that I don't make the agenda for God. He has a plan and I'm sticking to it, even when it hurts. He has a plan and I'm sticking to it, even when it hurts. You know, when Job was going through his tremendous sufferings, and his wife said, curse God and die, and his friend said, oh, you're a terrible, you know, Job said, even though he slay me, yet I will serve him. What is he saying? He says, I may not understand why God's doing what he's doing, but I believe him. I believe him. All right, third one then. We say we're going to trust him with our physical life. We're going to trust him with our spiritual life. The third one is trust him with our purpose in life. And so that's verses 8 through 10. Let me read that. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What's the temptation here? What's going on here? Satan is telling, he says, Jesus, I know why you're here. You think about that. Jesus is saying, um, Satan is saying, Jesus, I know why you're here. But remember Eden? They listened to me in Eden. They didn't listen to you. Remember the wilderness wanderings? Who did they listen to? They never trusted you. Remember the judges? You saved them, and then immediately they fell into sin. Remember Jeremiah? What was going on then? They were wandering from you. You sent your prophets, and they killed your prophets. Remember Hosea? I paint, you painted this picture of this wife who kept cheating on a husband, and then you said, Israel, that's you with me. And they didn't pay attention. They don't listen to you, Jesus, because they're mine. And you chase after them like a heart-sick lover, and they keep jilting you. Satan is saying, I know your purpose. You're here, to, you're here to bring your kingdom. And I'm telling you, they won't follow you. But if you want your kingdom and you want them to follow you, I can do it. That's what he's saying here. You want the kingdom, Jesus. I can do that. But you know what's coming. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You can achieve your purpose with one moment of a shortcut when it when it says um when it says at the end of verse 9 if you will bow down and worship me the greek tense there for worship is one time just this once just this once jesus just do it once it's the tense that means a ha thing that happens one time and the effects last forever and satan is dangling this this temptation it's only one time. And Jesus knows that he's the son of God and bringing about the kingdom is only going to come by suffering and ultimately dying. And Satan is offering a kingdom with no suffering. And Jesus is saying, no, I know my purpose. I know how it's achieved. I know why I'm here. I know who I am. I know that. You know, it's interesting that temptation was revisited Peter brought it up. It's not on the screen. In, in, in Matthew 16, Jesus starts telling his disciples, i got to go to Jerusalem. He tells them, this is what's going to happen to me there. I'm going to suffer at the hands of the leaders and, and the, and the, and the uh, priests and the teachers of religious law, and I'll be killed, and God will raise me on the third day. And, Jesus, and, and, and if you remember, uh, Peter pulls him aside and says, no, 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 no. 
Jesus, look, you know, you're a great guy, but you get goofy at times. Let me just bring you back to reality here. That's not going to happen. Heaven forbid. He uses strong words there. Heaven forbid. He says, God doesn't want this to happen to you. This will never happen. And Peter gets in his face. Jesus, man, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's point of view. And then he turns to the disciples. He says, look, if anybody wants to be my followers, you've got to put aside what, your selfish ambition. You've got to start carrying a cross and follow me. Because if you try to keep your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. And that's when he says what we talked about earlier. Because what does it do a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What good is that? And so Jesus, Jesus sees this. He understands it. It's interesting. It comes back up again. Peter brings it back up. You know, it's almost as like Satan's thinking, no, I'll give it one more shot. I'll give it one more shot. But Jesus says, no. No, I'm only worshiping God. I'm not taking the shortcut. I'm taking the hard road because I know that's the road I have to travel. I know who I am. I know what God says about me. And I'm going to live that. And then um, in uh, Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the moment where Jesus said, now I'm on message. Everything has built to this. And now here's the message because the alternative has been offered and I've denied it. So now, because he knew, as soon as he started saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's sealing his death. He knows that. This kingdom talk will get him killed. But how do we apply this? How do we think through this? Because we're like everybody else in this whole world. We're, all, we're looking for identity. We're looking for purpose in life. And God is saying, I have an eternal purpose for you. And we will be tempted at times. Now we can blame it on Satan or it could be just us being bums and, and idiots. But we will be tempted at different times to shortcut the hard parts. To fall for the just this once. And it all boils down to who you are and why you're here. And so I was thinking about this. Who am I? Who are you? I have a sheet. They're on the table in the back if you want to pick one up. But let me just run through this. It's, it's a ton. Let me run through this really fast. Who are you? 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation. Ephesians 2.10, you're a masterpiece. 1 Peter 2.9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy people. John 1.12, you're a child of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you have become the righteousness of God. I'm not even going to read it. It's too many, too many verses. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you're not my servant, you're my friend. He says, you're heirs. You have an inheritance. You're heirs to the kingdom. You're a citizen of heaven. You are one in spirit with the Lord. You are part of the body of Christ. You are a holy and beloved chosen one. You are the person God says, I loved you so much I sent my son to die for you. You're partakers of the divine nature. You are more than conquerors. You are holy and blameless. You are called now a saint, a holy one, whether you feel like it or not. You are a child of the light. 
You are an ambassador for Christ. You have a person who has been newly born. You are born again. You are a sojourner. This world is not your home. And God chose you. He chose you. He picked you. You know, I talk about this. When we pick teams, God picks you. And he picks you first. I don't know how that works with all of us here being picked first. But he says that's what it is. And for those of you, like me, can remember those days when teams were picked and you were picked last? That was a humiliating feeling. You weren't. God says, I picked you first. So all these things, all these things, and there's so much more. I, I limited it to this. These are true about you. And so what you do is you go, okay, if this is who I am, how do I, now what, what are the changes that can be hap happening now? As, as the Spirit works through me, as I read his word, because the word is where the power is, these things happen to me now because this is who he says I am. And so don't let any person or any circumstance steal that from you because that's just theft. Because this is who you are. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are a child of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is true. Lord, help us as we endure temptations, as we go through wilderness times, to focus on who we are and what you say about us. Because, Lord, when we do that, it is nothing but affirming. It lifts us up. It puts us on high places. And thank you that we have this ability now to commune, you, commune with you. We have this power now that is strong enough to raise a person from the dead. We are a part of this kingdom that is growing on this earth. You have a plan for us. You have a plan for us as, a, as part of the body of Christ. You want to use us to impact people's lives. Help us to be willing and to allow you to work. 